we in the, the um, in a, having a, a bit of a little Christmas series in the lead up to Christmas. We're calling it a better Christmas, and so this morning we've got the topic naughty or nice. But before we get stuck, let's come before God in a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can hear from your word and and hear from you. We pray, Lord, that you might speak to us this morning by your spirit and enable us to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, if our ears have been dulled, we pray, Lord, that you would would open them. You You would enable us to clearly hear. We pray, Lord, that the that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, our rock and redeemer. Amen. The premise of this morning's Bible talk is simple. To find out, are we naughty or nice? Are you naughty or nice? Don't answer it yet. We've got to discuss what we mean by these words before you jump to your conclusion, but we'll get there in a few minutes to answer that question, naughty or nice. Are you on the naughty list or the nice list? But for the moment, though, I want you to, to prepare a preliminary answer, you know. Have an idea in your mind of which one you think you'd be on. It's a pretty simple question, but it's a question that when answered well can make the difference in our lives. How we answer this question and what we do with it It might seem a little bit frivolous on the surface, but underneath, how we answer this question will determine a great deal about our lives. It could determine whether or not you have a better Christmas than any you've had before. So, naughty or nice is that guilt trip that we lay on the kids around Christmas time. You know, get into November and... You know, the cliche is parents using it as a, as a behavioural tool, you know. Only nice kids get presents at Christmas. Are you going to be on the naughty list or the nice? It's usually an empty threat, you know. Parents want to give their kids gifts regardless of whether they've been naughty or nice. You know, you know kids that get lumps of coal is generally reserved to fairy tales and the Christmas mythos. Because no parent really wants to crush their child's spirit at Christmas. But even if we spoil our naughty kids at Christmas, we know that there's something about that notion of rewarding the good and rejecting the evil or the bad. There's something that's burned deep into our psyche, that there's naughty and there's nice, there's good, there's bad, there's virtuous and there's evil. We know that good should be rewarded and evil punished. And yet we also know that these things are a little bit more complicated. It's not always as black and white as we'd like to think. After all, we know that even in ourselves that there are parts of us that are both naughty and nice. We know that there are parts of us that we fear to show to others because it's our weakness, our evil indecency. We're mixed people. We're capable of great good and horrendous evil. So if we're to figure out which way we lean, good or bad, naughty or nice, how can we assess whether or not we're a good person? Well, we could ask ourselves, but it's probably not a good idea because left to ourselves, we, we tend to give ourselves a bit of a free pass. You know, I'm not that bad. I've had my off days, but it's not like I've murdered anyone. 
on the whole, I'm a good person. But why would we listen to our own judgment about ourselves? You know, that would be like asking a nominee if he deserves to get the award. Of course, I want the award. Or it's like asking a guilty criminal to weigh in on his verdict. He doesn't get to have a say. Why would we get to have a say on on ourselves on whether or not we think we're nice people? We need something that's external to us to give us an assessment. We need to look at some standards, something outside ourselves. So what standards should we use? What are the options? Maybe we could use the law of the state, the laws of the country. I pay my taxes, I vote, I obey the road rules, mostly. I don't shoplift. Does that make me a nice person? Come to think of it, I've known some really nasty people who are law-abiding citizens. In fact, I know of law-keeping citizens that use the minutiae of the law to bring frivolous lawsuits against people to inflict hurt and pain. I can be a law-abiding citizen and still treat people like rubbish, talking down to people, being rude and arrogant, or failing to stand up for the oppressed. So it's good to be a law-abiding citizen, but there's something more to our moral fibre than just the government's rules. In order to find out whether or not I'm a good person, a nice person, I need more, something that examines my attitudes and intentions. What about we try cultural standards? Maybe that would be a good way to weigh whether or not we're a good person. When we compare our lives to the prevailing cultural flow, can we, can we see? Well, not really. It's hard to get a straight answer about what is good or bad from the culture, except on the most hot-button topic right now. I can tell you for certain that the, the culture is very clear that I should use... I should reuse my shopping bags instead of throwing them out. The culture is very clear on that right now, but anything beyond that, it's all a bit murky. If I ask five people on the street about what makes a good and admirable life, I will get five different answers. Maybe we should go with the majority. If more people lean one way than the other, then surely that's the best and most noble way to live, right? Well, that's a problem because the majority is always shifting. If we think back in Australia's history, a few decades ago, the idea of, was that the idea of a multicultural Australia was outlawed. It was actively fought through a white Australia immigration policy that was supported by the majority. That's hated now, with good reason. So if the question is, if the majority once supported something but opposes it now, has the moral imperative changed? Or was it once right to support that, but now it's wrong? And so morals change. Or, or was it always wrong, and the majority used to be wrong? And if the majority used to be wrong, how can I know at what points the majority is wrong now? Cultural standards are constantly shifting like sand. There's nothing solid to build a life on. Because just when you think you've got it down pat, you either get the rug pulled out from underneath you 
or you get dumped on with a whole bunch more do's and don'ts of what's supposed to be culturally appropriate. Culture can't tell us what's naughty or nice because it can't figure out itself what's naughty or nice or what's good or bad from week to week. Sometimes society changes for the better. Sometimes it changes for the worse. It's no guide to live our life by. So you will be unsurprised to hear from a preacher man that there's somebody who has standards worth investigating. Nothing in this, else in this world gives us a firm and clear picture of good and bad quite like what God says in the Bible. It has stood the test of time. You see, when we order our lives by God's standards, things are made much better. The needy are helped. The weak protected. Marriages are better. Families are stronger. Work is more meaningful. Rest is more joyful. Societies flourish. God's standards are good standards. And not least because they come from the source of all good, God himself. So what are some of God's standards? Well, the Ten Commandments are probably a a great place to start, an easy place to start. These were those ten laws that God gave to the Israelites he rescued out of slavery before he was about to lead them into a new country. And these laws were meant to help them live God's way in a new country. You might have heard the story about how God carved the commandments on stone tablets and gave them to Moses. Now, we're not Egypt, sorry, we're not Israel, who's just fresh out of Egypt, but these Ten Commandments still represent the themes of the Bible standards for the good life, the good life on God's terms. If we compare ourselves against these rules, we should be able to soon figure out whether or not we're on the nice list or the naughty list. Well, let's start with five of them. We'll, We'll start with the five easiest ones. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house, shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, so let's compare no murder. That seems pretty straightforward. Don't kill people unjustly. Next, no adultery. Adultery is not a word that we use much at the moment, but it basically means engaging in sexual relations with somebody who's not your wife if you're a man or, or your husband if you're a woman. Strictly speaking, it refers here to a married person breaking their vows and sleeping with another person, but across the scriptures, the standard is that sex is reserved for husbands and wives to be celebrated and enjoyed in marriage, and anything outside that is contrary to God's ways. So then we've got, you shall not steal, don't don't take things that don't belong to you, and you shall not bear false witness. That means you shouldn't mislead people about the character and actions of somebody else, making up lies about them or telling half-truths to tear down somebody's reputation. It's a, a close relation of bearing false witness is gossip. And the last of those commandments, shall not covet what somebody else has. Another word that we don't use very much, but coveting is that desire to have something that's not yours. You start to yearn for it. When we think that we deserve or must have stuff and things or or must have that relationship that's not ours, we're coveting. 
So how'd you go with these five? This is just the five of the Ten Commandments. We could go on. How does your life align with those standards of no killing, no sleeping around, no stealing, no misrepresenting others, and no yearning for what other people have? I didn't meet that bar. I've failed on at least three of those, and an argument could be made I've failed on more. How about you? Maybe you are pretty confident that you've hit that standard. You're good. You're on the nice list in God's eyes. But hold your horses. There's more. Call now and you get a free set of steak knives. No, no. Um, You see, even if you have the moral fortitude to hit these boxes, there's a deeper level of each of these commandments. It's not just, I didn't kill somebody. The deeper level is whether or not we're keeping those commandments in our hearts. Is that actually our way of life from our heart? I may not have actually killed somebody I hate, but I have I wished they would die. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And I've missed the rest of that verse, but essentially says, but whoever hates his brother in his heart will be liable to judgment. There you go, there it is. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Or maybe I may not have actually had an affair with another woman, but have I dreamed of it, fantasizing how it would happen in my mind? But Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That means those innocent, innocent, longing glances at the person jogging down the road are heart-based adultery. You see, God is not just interested in our outward performance, whether or not we can put on a good show, but rather He's interested in our hearts. Our heart is the deciding factor between naughty or nice. Are our hearts aligning with God's standards or not? I have it on good authority that all of us fail to live up to God's standards. Every last one of us, even our best efforts, are not enough. The psalmist says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And in Romans It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, man, woman and child, have fallen short of God's standards of good because we've been radically corrupted. Yes, there is some good in us, but we've been so radically corrupted that it is impossible for us to identify the extent of disease. It has metastasized. And the Bible calls that disease sin. If we want to know who's naughty or nice, well, according to the Bible, every last one of us is on the naughty list. No exceptions. And some people don't like to talk about this. We just want to talk about the good in people. Positive. It's awkward to think about and to talk about. But we need to deal with it. Because if we're going to come before God in judgment, we want to know whether or not we stand a chance. 
whether or not there's a way out, if there's a way to get on the nice list. You might think that the next step is to knuckle down. Okay? I've failed. I'm on the naughty list. I'm just going to try really hard. If, if we just try hard enough to live in a way that's pleasing to God, maybe we'll tip the scales. My good will outweigh my bad. Really? Well, for starters, that hasn't worked so far. So probably not going to work into the future. But even if you were to live perfectly from now until your dying day, then you've only just met the standard. That hasn't exceeded the standard. If you live perfectly, you've just lived as you ought. You can't outweigh the good with the bad by just breaking even. We need something else. We need someone external to us to help step in and pull us out of the predicament. We can't save ourselves. And God, even though he sets the standard for what is good and right, even though he, he knows... Sorry, he knows our predicament. He knows that we're stuck. He knows our sickness, the corruption of sin, and he's willing to be merciful. It's in his nature to be one who is kind and forgiving, despite how we treat him. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of you's inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's the God of this world. Our creator. He knows that we failed, but he wants to show love and compassion to us. We failed to live the good life. We're all on the naughty list, but God is willing to change that. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's why we celebrate it. That's why it's such a feature, because God has come into the world to deal with the problem. God sent Jesus, God himself, into the world to rescue us, to rescue the failures, to rescue the corrupt, to take people who know they're on the naughty list and make them nice. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and like me. He was born as a man in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago as we celebrate at Christmas. But he didn't remain a baby. He grew up and won for us salvation. He was the only man to ever live that perfect life according to God's standards. He never put a step wrong. He always obeyed God the Father in thought and in speech and in actions. He's the only one who could ever get onto the nice list on his own merits. He wasn't just content to live the good life for himself, but he lived it to save sinners like you and me. And so he took his good life, his perfect life, his righteous life, and he did a big swap, a great exchange. Even though he deserved honors and reward, He swapped it for all of our sin. He he took his perfect and blameless record and he swapped it for our failures. 
even though he deserved honours and reward, he took our sin on him. And that's why he went to the cross, where he suffered and was executed on our behalf as if he was a sinner. God the Father laid on the God-man Jesus all of our sin. And in the great exchange, the swap of our sins for his righteousness, he dies in our place and the slate is cleared. God cancelled the record of failures that stood against us with its legal demands. Anyone who wants can ask Jesus to clear their slate, to take their sin and to deal with it. And for Jesus who died, who was both God and man, two in one, even though he died, death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him down and he rose from the dead. He came out of the grave as a conqueror over sin and death. Even though we were once failures according to God's standard, he has dealt with that and given us God's spirit to enable us to meet his standard. We will still stumble and fall, but Jesus has dealt with our failures once and for all. And his spirit will guide us to live a better, holier, nicer life. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. That's Jesus. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, as if we could earn it, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what's next? Let's circle back around to the question I asked at the beginning. Are you on the naughty list or you're on the nice list? Now we have a bit of information that we can use to, to make that call. Naughty or nice? We, we've looked into a clear standard of what constitutes good and bad with God's laws. And it's clear that all of us have failed to live that decent life. And even if we were to live a good life, we wouldn't be able to make up for our past wrongs. The only way for us to be made good is to receive for ourselves the goodness of Jesus. To receive his righteousness that he offers to us. It's the only way to get on the nice list. So where have you landed? Are you with Jesus, with his righteous life on the nice list? Or with your own failure on the naughty list? If you are on the nice list, then great. Let's rest in what Christ has done for you. Praise God. Jesus is your saviour and you're free from your failures. But we don't relax our standards. We must never think any less of our sins and failures. Our sins are forgiven, but that doesn't give us an excuse to go on living in them. The Bible reminds us. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. 
We don't do these good works. We don't do these good things so that we can earn God's grace, but we do these things as people who are changed in our hearts to live this way. But what if you find yourself on the naughty list? Are you ready to own up to the fact that you're a sinner just like everybody else in this room? If you are, then repent. Let's turn away from the life you've been living and put your trust in Jesus. You, you don't clean yourself up for God, but he will come and clean you up if you take a stand and say, no, I'm done with my failure and trying in vain to live a good life. I'll take the good life that Jesus lived on my behalf. Ask Jesus to make you clean, to cure your sin, to forgive you for the way that you failed God and others. If you ask for forgiveness, God will give it to you. So whether you're, you're ready to make that choice or, or whether you're not quite there yet, please feel free to come and talk to me or another Christian that you trust to, to talk it through with them, find out what is holding you back, what is stopping you from receiving this gift of Jesus this Christmas. It could be a better Christmas than you've ever had before if you would receive this gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus into the world to live the life that we failed to live. We thank you that he has that perfect life, that righteousness, and that he's willing to give it to us and to take our sin in exchange. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to measure our life not by the, the, the things of this world which are kind of always shifting and changing, but help us, Lord, to measure ourselves against the standards that you have set for what is good and bad. And we pray, Lord, that through Jesus you might put us all on the nice list, that you might all bless us with that eternal life that you have for those whom you are pleased with. Lord, for those of us who are lost and wandering, who feel the weight of our sin and our failures pressing down on us, we pray, Lord, that you might show us the light of Christ, that you might give us the Holy Spirit and the washing of regeneration so that we can, so we can be made clean, so that we can turn to Jesus and receive life. Lord, we thank you that you are saving a people for yourself. And we thank you, Lord, that the way that you are working in this world is for our good and for your glory. And we pray that, that those things might be, continue in and through Jesus' name. Amen.